Just put it into context for you. Um, we've had the gospel being spread to Antioch, and that was where they started to spread the good news to Gentiles. And, but in chapter 12, we go back to Jerusalem, which is the scene of persecution. It's the scene of where people are, being, uh, are under pressure because of their faith. And um, Luke tells us the story, particularly of Peter. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the, dock, uh, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you. Follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards. They came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. Annoyed. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And he'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a mere mortal. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Lord, on a hot morning, 
may we hear you. Lord, on a, a warm day, may you speak to us through your word. Uh, may it make sense. And Lord, help us to know how to respond. Help us to know what to do with this text. Help us to know how to see how our lives are shaped by yours. Lord, open us, we pray, to your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what have we seen so far? We've seen God's brilliant, ambitious plan. That this good news, this love beyond borders would go away not only to their own people, the Jewish people, from Jerusalem to Samaria, to the people who were rivals, to Ethiopians, people who were outsiders, to Saul, people who were persecutors, to Cornelius, who was part of the occupying army, to Antioch, to Greeks. This is God's big, massive ambition. But slowly, it feels that it's starting to fade because pressure comes on the early church. And bit by bit, it looks like, it's okay, God's ambitious plan, but it looks like it's getting very blurred and it's actually running out of steam and maybe, just maybe, it will not, it will not come to pass. You've had Stephen killed by an angry crowd. You've had a persecution begun against the church. You've had people having to wrap up their possessions and leave home really quickly and just go to wherever they could. You've got James. James, the brother of John. James, the brother of John, one of the very first disciples of Jesus. Beheaded. And now Peter, the head of the church, imprisoned. What's going to happen? Now, if you were reading and you'd never read this story before, that's what you'd begin to see. That actually... It's one thing to be saying, oh, God's got his plan and God's going to roll it all out. But actually, when you were living it, it felt like maybe this indeed will just fail. In fact, it wouldn't be unusual at that time to imagine perhaps this is how it ends. Perhaps this is how it ends. Perhaps it ends in failure. Perhaps it ends with people like James being beheaded. Perhaps it ends with people like Peter being imprisoned. Perhaps that's how it ends. Now, you know the story as well as I do, so you know it doesn't end there. But Luke, when he's telling his story, he's giving you enough, enough to believe that it's not the end. He tells you about James, the brother of John, being uh, arrested and being beheaded. And if you've read your Gospels... You'll remember, possibly. There was a time when James and John come to Jesus, and particularly represented by their mother. Their mother comes and says, will you, good Jewish mother, will you, when you come into your glory, will my boys, my boys, will they be on your right and your left hand side? And do you remember what Jesus said? What does he say? Pardon? He said he does end up saying the least will be the greatest. But for that, he asked them a question. The question is, can you share the cup, the cup of suffering that I'm going to go through? 
And this is the day where James shares the suffering of Jesus. But Luke does more than that. Luke tells you when the beheading happens. It happens during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, which is all part of and Herod wanting to put him on public trial, Peter on public trial, after the Passover. And again, if you've got ears to hear, you can hear the echoes of another story. In fact, two stories. The Exodus story, where Pharaoh comes against Moses and the God of Egypt thinks that he has absolute control, but actually God makes a way out of Egypt through the, um, through the water. But the other emphasis on Passover, Jesus. Jesus. This is the, this is the moment in church where the answer is Jesus. <laughs> this is exactly the time of year where Jesus is brought out in front of everybody. And the Roman authorities go, we've got power over you. And Jesus dies and rises from the dead. We've been here before, folks. We've been here before. The powers always think they are stronger, but we have a long history. And I think that one of the things that Luke wants the church to know is you're part of a long history. That actually the history of death and resurrection is the history of the church that we are a part of. That God always brings resurrection out of death. And more to the point, the story is just about to get interesting. This is almost the end of part one in Acts. Because what's going to happen next is this gospel is going to go to the whole world. It's the missionary journeys that are going to happen. People who are far off from the Jewish people are going to hear the good news of Jesus. It's just about to get interesting. God's ambitions are much wider. And what he wants to do, he wants to reclaim the whole world for himself. That's what God wants to do. God's not, I say this in the nicest sense, God's not interested in a few people come to church. God's really interested in reclaiming the whole world for himself, this beautiful, damaged, flawed world. That's God's plan. And his plan is to take people like me and to be part of that beautiful, beautiful rescue mission for the whole world. And it doesn't feel big and it doesn't feel grand because none of us are that important. We're just doing the right things with the right people. When you're in the classrooms, when you're in the offices, when you're with your families, when you're with your neighbours, when you're with your clubs, you're just doing the right thing. But you're part of God's big rescue plan for the whole world. That's the good news of the gospel. And this missionary journey that Paul particularly is going to be sent out is where the good news that God has not given up on his world actually will meet the rest of the world. That's what me and you are involved with. It's just about to get interesting. And so it's unsurprising, perhaps, that Peter is arrested. Peter, the head of the church... Peter, the one who represents the church, on this rock, I'll build my church, he's arrested. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly 
praying to God for him. There's a, there's a question here, because we've read the chapter, you know he's going to get out. But James didn't get out. And Stephen was martyred. And lots of others were killed. So how do you pray? How do you pray in a context like that? Well, the first thing is, you recognize the enemy. And in this case, it's Herod. And Herod has, he has a prison. He has four squads of four soldiers. He has chains. He has guards. There's no doubt who's in charge here. Why did James get killed? Because Herod decided it would win him votes. Why did Stephen get killed? Because he upset a mob and they just set on him. I think what Luke does in this chapter is sets up a power encounter between God and the enemy. And you've seen the enemy at work. Why does James get killed? Because of Herod. Because he lives in a fallen world. Because of sin. Because Satan stands against God's good intentions. It's not because of a lack of faith. It's not because the church didn't pray very well for James. It's not because somehow there was a failure. It's actually because in the midst of this, in the midst of this battle, bad things happen to God's people. And that's not easy. And it's kind of interesting because you'd want to ask more questions here, wouldn't you? I'd want to ask more questions. And Luke is not willing to give us the answers. But he tells us the stories. And for sometimes, when you know you're actually in the right place, doing the right thing, doing the thing that God would want you to do, it doesn't always go exactly perfectly. In fact, sometimes you're in the right place doing the right thing for God and all that happens is it feels like defeat. And it doesn't mean that you've done it wrong. It doesn't mean you've done it wrong. It doesn't mean that somehow you've been, I don't know, rebellious or faithless. It means you've been doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. I wish the equations were easier. I wish the equation were, if you're doing the right thing in the right place at the right time, you'd always win. I wish it were like that, but it's not. It's not in the book of Acts, this book of the Holy Spirit. I wish it were. It's not. So without the insurance, will you keep on doing the right thing in the right place for God's sake? Without the insurance that on this world, it'll always go right. What does the church have? The church has prayer and a good memory. That's what the church has. And you look at this, and um, for us, we don't know much about King Herod at that time. Except, by the way, just by the way, in brackets, it's kind of like Luke's... <laughs> This Herod is not the same Herod as uh, tried to kill Jesus. And it's not the Herod that Jesus was in front of. They all belong to the same family. It's kind of like whenever you meet a Herod, you know, it's just bad news. It's like you, do, you don't even need the history. It's just bad news. And um, we don't know much about that. But let me tell you, they had life and death in their hand. 
And the church, what's the church have? The church has prayer. Prayer in a good memory. Prayer, we've been here before. Acts chapter 4. They were imprisoned. So what did the church do? They prayed. And the building shook. The, the apostles who were in and out of prison, you know, quite regularly. And the church prayed and God released them. They've got a memory that God doesn't forget you. They've got a memory of Passover. They've got a memory of the cross and resurrection. They've got a faith that says, actually, we turn to prayer. And then a God acts. And it, you get this little story and it becomes almost comical. It is almost comical. So you, the angel, this angel... I loved, I, I kind of read through and I, I loved the idea of what this angel was doing. This seems like quite a robust angel. An angel of the Lord appears, the light shines on him. He strikes, he hits him on his side and speaks to him. He tells him to get dressed once. Then he tells him to get his cloak on. It sounds like your mother. He tells him to get dressed, then tells him to put his cloaks. He leads Peter out of the prison and then he leaves him on his own. And Peter comes to his senses and going, wow, I'm here. Who'd have guessed? Who'd have guessed? And then that, that sort of, that is comical. You could certainly see it as farce. Where Peter goes, knocks on the door of the church that had been praying. The servant girl, Rhoda, comes out and goes, oh, it's Peter, closes the door on his face. Goes back in, so Peter's at the door saying, no, he can't be. Let's pray. And, um, <laughs> and Peter goes in, tells them, and then he disappears. He's... Really, really smart. How does God act? This angel business. I suspect that for most of us in the room, we've never met an angel that we imagine. But the interesting thing about the word angel is this, is the word angelos can be translated two ways and is translated two ways. It can mean angel as a heavenly being. So in Luke 2, when the hosts of the heavenly angels came singing praise to God, announcing to the shepherds, heavenly angels, heavenly beings. But then you've got this other use of language. If you're interested and you can do it quick enough, just to go with me. Chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel, verse 24. It says this. It's when John sends uh, to Jesus and says, are you sure you're the one that's to come? After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. You could translate that as angel. Verse 27. This is the one about whom it's written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you. Could be angel. That's another way of translating it. Nine, chapter 952, when Jesus is um, setting off towards Jerusalem, he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village. Again, it's the same language. Now, why is that important to me? You, might, you can understand, perhaps, particularly in the West, people have long tried to work out what's going on with this rescue of Peter, because this is the point. If it's so out of our experience, it will never, we'll never say, yeah, we understand what that looks like. But some people have said, and I actually think real, um, uh, with justification, 
that this angel that lets Peter out may well have been a human. That this actually is a messenger from God, someone sent. In fact, others have gone even further and said it's an inside job. That someone could get themselves into the prison, unlock his chains, lead him out. Now, some of you will go, well, that's shocking to even begin to think like that because that somehow reduces the ability of God. I don't, I, I've got to say, I'm not sure it does reduce the ability of God. I think that for some of us, we would say that we have had miraculous events happen. It's just they've happened through people. We would, lots of us would go, do you know what? I don't know how that happened, but it just seems that circumstances all fell into place and God did something and I can't, we couldn't have put that together. We wouldn't necessarily use the language of angels, but Luke might. That's the point. Now, I'm not going to go to the wall for this. So if you disagree with me, please don't tell me. Because actually, it's just a possibility. I'm not certain. It could just be absolutely one of these heavenly beings that comes and breaks open everything. It could well have been that. Or it could have been a human. But the point is, God rescues. And the point for me is, I'm looking for God's activity in my world. Can you have eyes to see what God's doing? Can you have eyes to see what God's doing? And God rescues him. Is it any less a miracle however it happens? No. This is a man who's held by Herod, and God releases him. That's what Luke's really clear about. Less about the how, but very clear about the who. It's God, and these messengers are messengers from God. These are people that are sent from God. This is God's work. And the chapter ends with Herod. It's a really neat chapter, by the way, just if you're interested in this sort of thing. You have a death at the beginning, you have a death at the end, and you have a rescue in the middle. It's a really neat piece of writing. Some of you are not interested in that sort of thing. I'm fascinated by that sort of stuff. But I should just get out more. And on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, goes and the people shout, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And immediately Herod, because Herod didn't give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. Which is a brilliant, again, another brilliant thing to put on a fridge magnet. <laughs> it's interesting that Josephus, who's writing at the same time, talks about Herod. Actually, he did, he died of a parasitic worm. He died of a parasitic worm. That's how Herod came to an end. Luke sees it really clearly, though. He's telling a story about powers. And he's saying, you know what, Herod, who thought he had everything, a worm killed him. A worm killed him. So I'm reading the text. And I'm asking myself this. How do I read this? And I'm reminded about this, that God's desire is an ambitious plan. God wants the good news 
of Jesus to be embedded in the life of Salford, Manchester, and the Northwest. God has got an ambitious plan for a whole region and area. God wants righteousness throughout our cities and our region. And when you and I surrendered to him and said, we're yours, what he said was, I'll take you and I'll bring you into this process. I'll bring you a part of now the answer. You're the part of the answer that does bring peace to those who are absolutely, absolutely tortured. You are the one who will spread good news of the kingdom. You are the one who will act and work for the good of the kingdom. You are included. You will face opposition. It won't always go well. In fact, things always going well are not simply always a sign that God's, you know, it's not always a sign of God's blessing. Sometimes the the actual opposition is a sign that you're doing the right thing. The difficult days are not because you're in the wrong place. The difficult days sometimes are in your right place. But God does not leave us alone. We will have remarkable miracles. God will see, you will see God act in ways that you can't fathom. He'll do stuff that you can't explain. When Luke wrote this account, he was writing to churches scattered around the world. Churches like ours. Churches that were always in danger of settling. Churches that were always in danger of having their vision become too small. And always he's wanting to say, actually, God's plan is bigger than you can imagine. Are you up for this? Are you in it? Are you willing to live faithfully? Are you willing to persevere? On the days when work, your workplace doesn't seem to get any better. Are you willing to persevere? On the days when your family seem as far away from Jesus as ever, are you willing to keep on praying? On the days when actually for all that you hope and all that you pray, it feels like everything's taken a step back, are you willing to keep on praying and acting and working for the glory of God? Are you willing to suffer? Or when the suffering comes, will you just give up and go, it's not for me? Are you willing to engage? This story in Acts 12 is not just a wow story, though it is. It is a wow story. It's a story that says, are you going to be part of this story with us? Well done. Most of you stayed awake, which was remarkable. I know you did it on shifts, but thank you anyway. I really appreciate that. I need to stand to your feet for a minute just to stretch just for a moment. Do you want to come back? And... Just stretch, just uh, deal with your sticky back. <laughs> just, uh, okay, just grab some air as much as you can.
We're going to pray together. And then um, I'm going to ask the band to play really, just gently, not necessarily sing at this point, just really gently. Um, but I want us to have a time where we can just sort of, I suppose a time where we can process a little bit, just to think for a bit. But rather than sometimes what we do, as you know, is sort of like discuss things, which I love doing, I'm wondering this morning whether we can just have a time where you can ask, Lord, what are you saying? To, what, what's worth, what do we need to be reminded of? We're kind of asking God, Lord, what do you need to impress upon our hearts? And for sometimes that, what that might mean for some of you is it'll be like that bit. That's the bit that's really important. Or it might be that a, that a thought connected to another thought connected to another thought. And, and you think that's important. But just while we've got time. Father God, we try and wrestle with the scripture to allow it to shape us. To be challenged again. But Lord, what do you want to say to us? Father God, I pray you trigger ideas and thoughts and impressions. Lord, just come. And as we gather before you, and we're still for a bit, Lord, may we hear you through one another. May you use one another of us to speak into our situations. that sense of actually there's someone I'd I'd like to share then uh, just wave and we'll give you a microphone so that it can be heard God's ambitious plan, uh, and yet I, you know, I can, through what you were saying there and what I can see, is an ambitious plan, but an unstoppable plan, because the answer is that God is at times willing to break the boundaries of the norm to accomplish His will 
to his ends. Uh, and that's the clarity. Thank you, Tom. The thing is, you don't know how important your bit will be until we've heard all the bits. specifically for a few people this morning that God is going to be speaking to you through others and directly to you and he's going to give you something that you couldn't possibly know yourself but that he is going to reveal to you and this is all about drawing you closer to him this is all about intimacy this is all about being close to him and looking at his face so um, I'll just say that if there's anyone who sort of feels that they want to pray that through at the end of the service, I'll be over there and you can come and find me and I'll pray with you. Thanks, Jill. Anybody else? There's a, a verse, I think it's at the end of Romans 8, which says, nothing uh, can separate us. And... Uh, that's true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I'm convinced that the, it's the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, that is the answer to every need that we have this morning, every uh, desire, every need. Uh, and I believe that's uh, what God has reminded me of this morning for you. Our, the presence of Jesus is sufficient for your every need right now. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Let's just keep on hearing from one another. Just linking in with um, the Romans 8. Um, he also says that all things work together for good. And it's just this idea that it's the different pieces that work together that bring about the good. Sometimes we're in one moment or in one season and it is really hard as we've heard today, but it's holding on to know that together with the rest of the story, it will bring about good and trusting that that goodness will come and that maybe we, we need to reach out and, and have someone to pray with us to have that courage to keep holding on to see the goodness come as the pieces come together. I just think that they must have been very scared, very frightened of what had gone on. The death of Stephen, James, the fear that was amongst them. But verse 24, we've read it, and it was just two lines, and they just really stuck in my mind. 
but the word of God continued to increase and spread. And that will happen until we see God come down again. He'll never stop his plan for his world. Thank you. Anybody else? said there is no plan B Jesus is in heaven he'll return but while he is there we are his hands and his feet there is no plan B there is nobody else it's us and if anything that we learn from uh, what we've heard this morning it's that things won't always be easy but uh, we keep going on One more. And then we'll uh, move on. What we heard, this idea of an ambitious plan that's unstoppable, that actually uh, God's desires and God's plan, He will bring them out. You know, there isn't. He, he uses us. But for that to happen, there's that sense of being in a place where you're known, you're secure, you're in the presence of Jesus. That sense of the, that felt presence of Jesus, that sense of that actually you know the love of God that will not let you go and that actually will, you will never be separated from. That sense of being known. We hardly ever do this, and I can't remember the last time I ever did it here, but I'm going to ask you if you want us to pray just at the moment. That It's kind of like almost like a recommitment. That's the, that was one of the things I felt that God might be asking us to do, is to recommit to him and to his message, really, his mission. Um, particularly perhaps for those of you who feel you've been burnt, that somehow you tried and it didn't quite work. And I think there's a moment where you just go, God, I'm back in the battle again. I'm for you. It wasn't great, and, um, but I'm yours. And the, the, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment if that's for you. But it's uh, standing doesn't make it happen. It's kind of what's in your heart. You go, yeah, I'm going to stand because it's in my heart. That's me. And sometimes we get burnt and sometimes... Um, we, we withdraw. Sometimes we watch other people and it seems that things work out really well for them. But, and you wonder, but today's the day where you go, God, I'm back in the battle. I'm ready to live for you. I'm ready to be your agent. I'm ready to give my life for those around me. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to uh, offer all I am in the light of all that you are. If any of that makes sense and any of the words that have been said so far, you can see the thread and how they hold together and you think, yeah, I want to respond to that, then why don't you stand and we'll pray together.
For some of you that are standing, the reason that you took a backward step is because you were hurt by other Christians. And, um, and you know and I know that actually the freedom comes when, through forgiveness. And as you stand, this isn't for all of you, but for some of you very specifically, that for some of you standing, there's that sense of actually you need to forgive that which has gone behind, that's behind you. That's what, that, the stuff that happened in the past, you've got to forgive so you can carry on moving forward in the future. Lord, I pray that you'd help the folks for whom that's relevant, Lord, just to leave the past behind. Lord, they want to take a stand for you. They want to get back in the battle. They want to keep on walking. They want to persevere. They want to be part of the ambition, uh, ambitious plan you have for our cities, for our region. They want to use their lives for that. But Lord, I pray that you'd uh, enable them to disentangle themselves from all that's gone in the past. Lord, I pray you'd cut those, uh, that stuff that holds them back. Pray for freedom for them. Fold, for those who stand together, we offer you our lives. We pray, Father God, that you take us again and use us. Lord, we want to be part of your plan. We want to be part of your desires. We want to be part of that whole mission that you call us to be involved with. Father God, take us and use us, we pray. We offer you our lives again. Lord, we pray that we'd follow you on the days that are dark and on the days that are light. We pray for that we'd be there for you on the days when it goes well and the days when the prison doors open. Lord, that we would be your faithful followers. Lord, here we are. Give us eyes to see what you're asking of us. Give us an awareness of how we respond. Lord, help us to follow you, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Why don't we all just stand together? Can I just add, I just hear, I just hear the word beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. And I just get this sense that ashes represent things that were, that didn't work out. But God wants to give us beauty for ashes. But there is this sense of exchange. There's this sense of just letting go of the ashes letting go of the morning and looking for the beauty that's coming, the beauty that God wants to give and the joy that God wants to restore. So if there's anybody who would like just to pray through that later on at the end of the service, I'll just be over at the front near where Barbara and Maggie are sitting. Thank you. Why don't we all just... Where you are, just start and uh, pray your own prayers, your own prayers that only you and the Lord can hear. The prayers of commitment, the prayers of recommitment, the prayers that say, Lord, this week, give me eyes to see. Lord, give me the, um, a determination this week to follow you. Let's just offer him all that's ahead of us. Lord, we offer you our lives, humanity.